Hello and welcome back to another episode of Your Drone Questions Answered. I'm John Dicko with the Drone Launch Academy here to answer your questions that you submit about drones. Today's question is, what are the requirements to fly a drone in Europe? And I have the perfect guy here to answer it. He's just fresh off a trip from Europe. It's Kevin Olson, owner of Maryland Drone Guy. He specializes in photography and videography. We've had you on the podcast before, Kevin. Thanks for coming back. Cool. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Well, for our audience who hasn't seen the episode with you on here before, do you mind just kind of giving us a very quick introduction of kind of what you do as the Maryland Drone Guy and how you use drones? So Maryland Drone Guy is my business, like you mentioned. It's just a side business for me. I do have a full-time job, so it's a little side hustle that I do on the side, and it keeps me super busy. Pretty much every day I have off from work, I'm Usually have gig fucked or recently I've even taken a lot of vacation time just for drone gigs with the business because it's been beneficial to me to keep those clients going. Just a local business specializing in photography, videography. I do a lot of construction um, work. I do some small businesses, a lot of restaurants, wineries, breweries, things like that, and just helping out businesses around me. So like I said, it keeps me super busy. Awesome. Yes. And thank you for taking the time out to talk here. Let's get into the question though. What are the requirements to fly in Europe? And you just literally just days away from coming back from a trip to Europe. You brought your drone along with you. And so I'm going to kind of just let you go and kind of let you talk about your experience and what you learned having a drone out in Europe. So I learned there's, there's a lot of differences between U.S. and Europe. I have my part 107, obviously, in the U.S. because I, I do have a business, but that means absolutely nothing in Europe. You could have a part 107, you could have a, the best business in the world. That, that means nothing to them in Europe. I've been to other countries such as like Aruba and like Bahamas, and they kind of honor your part 107. They're like, all right, your part 107, you kind of know what you're doing in the U.S. We'll give you, we'll honor it. You're good. Europe, they don't care. They're like, all right, you still, you've got to follow all of, our, all of our rules and everything and get certified and uh, registered and all those types of things. So I did a lot of research ahead of time and how to do that because I, you know, I like to follow the rules and um, actually kind of try to do things the proper way. So I was like, all right, I'm, you know, a month ahead of time, I had this cruise booked. I knew I was going to different places in Europe. So I'm like, I want to do this the right way. And I got my certification and doing all the research on how to do that. So the biggest hurdle that I had was actually trying to register and take the test. So according to like, if you Google um, how to, you know, register and everything like that, it says at your first country you go into. So in the European Union, you could actually just register one country and it's good for all the European Union. So for instance, I was flying into Barcelona, Spain. So according to the rules there, I was supposed to register and everything in Spain and, and take all the tests and everything there. But the problem was for me, everything's in Spanish in Spain. And I don't know Spanish. I'm not fluent in Spanish. So I was kind of trying to do more research and figure out how do I get registered properly. So even all the countries, I was going to Italy, I was going to France, I was going to Spain. I don't speak any of those those languages, um, at least fluently enough to take a test. So a lot of people online are, hey, just just ahead of time, do your registration in Ireland. So even though I didn't go to Ireland, it's one of the only countries in Europe, in the European Union, at least, that gives the drone test and all that, everything you need in English. So that's what I did ahead of time as I registered for in Ireland. I set up my account on Ireland, took the test. They have something similar like our trust test here in the U.S. So there's different classes, classifications and certifications they have there. So I wasn't going there for commercial reasons. I wasn't going there for a business or job. I was kind of just going there for vacation. So I was kind of, I just went as like, we have it here, like recreational pilot. So that I took similar to their trust test. You have to watch a couple of videos, maybe five, 10 minutes, watch a video too, and answer a quick test at the end. And it was super simple, super easy. So I got that registration. Um, but for me, the biggest issue too, with my main drone that I have here in the U.S. is the Mavic 3 Pro. And that is actually over 900 grams. And in the, in European Union, they matters what drone you fly is how, mu how much it weighs. So. There's different classifications, so it's sub 250 grams, which is like your Mini, Mini 3 Pro, Mini 4 Pro, those type of drones. And then once you go over 250 grams, the next step is 900 grams. You have to get a different type of registration. But So because my Mavic 3 Pro was over 900 grams, I was like, oh man, I have to take an even harder test and a harder registration to fly 
they're bigger drones, even though it's not that big. So what I actually did is just specifically for this trip, I bought the Mini 4 Pro when it came out. I was like, all right, I'm going to Europe anyway. I'm going to be, you know, throw it in my backpack. I didn't want to carry all my gear with me. It, was, you know, it wasn't a paid gig. I wasn't going for work. So I'm like, all right, I'll buy the Mini 4 Pro. I kind of threw it in my backpack. It was awesome to have just a small drone anyway, throw in my backpack. But I wanted to keep it on there at 250 grams because it's so much easier in Europe uh, to be able to fly. You can actually fly over people in limited capacity with the Mini drone. So it's up 250 grams. You can actually fly over people pretty quickly as long as you're not hovering over crowd and stuff like that. So it goes through all that in the registration and the their version of the trust test. So the hardest thing was just kind of registering and trying to figure out what country to do everything in and what I needed. Okay. Was there like a specific website you had to go to or a name of the exam that you took? So I went through, it's called EASA. I mean, I have it here, but I took the test. So you go to EASA's like European Union Safety Agency. They have all the countries you're listed in all the individual websites and what to go to listed by country. So like I said, I did mine through Ireland, even though I wasn't going to Ireland just because of an English. And then the biggest thing I learned, even if you have a sub 250 gram drone, you still have to register it as like an operator and they give you a unique number just like they do in the U.S. And I still had to put that on my drone, even though it was sub 250 grams, you still had to register it, put the label on it, all those type of things. So I, I found out if it's under 250 grams, it doesn't have a camera on it. You don't have to do that. But if it has a camera on it, regardless of the weight, you still have to register it. So. That's what I did there. So I had, I had to get two certifications, one for my registration and then one that I completed the test and I'm certified in their category. And it wasn't free. Like the trust test here in the U.S. is free. You kind of just take it through anyone. It was, I think it wasn't expensive. I think it was like 30 euros, which is like 30, 35 bucks here in the U.S. So it wasn't that bad. But if I wanted to get the more advanced one, which they call A2 certification, that's similar to like the part 107 here in the U.S. And that was, I'd take a course online and do that, you know, registration and take an actual test. So that one was about 150 to $300. You know, I got to take a registration course, similar to like Drone Launch Academy, take a course, learn all the rules and regulations. I'm like, I'm not doing that for a one week vacation. So <laughs> that's great that you, you did your research and you were prepared and that's what everyone should do, especially if you're going to go to another country and you're not familiar with the laws and getting in trouble abroad is a lot more complicated than getting all here at home. Once you were all set and you were able to get the drone up in the air, how was it? So another thing I kind of did I did some research on how to get certified, but once I was actually certified and had all the paperwork done, I didn't actually do research on actually the airspace there. So even though the European Union, you only need to register once and you have your license, every country itself has its own uh, flight restrictions and their own website and how to see where you can and can't fly. So similar to like we have a Lost and all these apps where you could see where you can and can't fly, every country has its own there. So that's one of the issues I ran into. So like I flew into Barcelona and I, I couldn't really fly anywhere in the city. And like here in the U.S., they, as long as you're not around airports, the airspace is pretty much open. Their biggest concern is airports. Whereas in Europe, I noticed that every major city just blanket, no fly zone. Like I'd be in Barcelona, just the whole entire city, no fly zone. And like every city I went to on my cruise, like especially like in Rome, I found like a little pocket on their website, on this little corner of the area. And I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm not going to fly. I'm not going to go out of my way to go over there just to fly the drone or I can't see anything. So they have a lot of blanket and they'll fly those blanks. Like every country I went to on my cruise, I had to figure out what website it was. So like I said, one for France, one for Italy, one for Spain. And that was kind of a little frustrating or just had to get used to where, you know, a little more research I wish I had done ahead of time. So overall, I was there for a whole week. I was only able to fly the drone twice because of the city that I was in and where my cruise ship stopped and stuff like that. So sounds like researching ahead of time is, is really key. <laughs> and, and that is surprising, yeah. a little disappointing too, that, uh, that there's just not so many areas where you can fly. And I, yeah. and I wonder if you're able to get, find one of those pockets and get into one of those pockets, yeah. if you'd find yourself crowded, you know, other drone pilots or, or 
anything similar to that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I, did, I did find a spot and I was in Italy in Positano, which is on the Amalfi Coast. So it's kind of away from the major cities. So I was able to fly there. But the biggest thing I learned, I did not realize until my drone was in the air that this was an issue. <laughs> in Europe, if you have a DJI drone, they limit how high you could go. So obviously the laws here is 400 feet. And then in Europe, it's 120 meters, which is pretty much the same. It's 400 feet. But here in, in US, if you're flying in the US, DJI will let you go above 400 feet as long as you're staying above ground level. I was on the beach. I was like, oh, I'll take off down to the beach. And I realized really quickly once I was going up the mountain, I was going to get some shots. So I was staying within the 120 meters of 400 feet, but I was going up the mountain. I realized DJI automatically locks you at 120 meters. Like they don't care if you're going above ground level, it's 120 meters from where you took off from. And I was like, oh man, I was trying to go higher. Like had I known that I would have taken off higher up, up the city more, up in the mountain. So yeah, in Europe, I, I found out pretty quickly that they on the DJI will automatically lock you at, a, at 120 meters, no matter where you are, even if you're going above buildings and obstructions and, you know, kind of like, it, like I said, going up a hill or a mountain. Whereas in the U.S., you could go above that 400 feet as long as, you know, you're maintaining your 400 feet above ground level. That was the biggest hurdle. So I was like, I was Finally in a spot, I could fly the drone. I'm like, yep, yeah, it's good to go. I'm awesome. I got a spot I could fly. And then I go up there and I'm like, oh, I can't go over over 400 feet. I was like, oh man, wow. And I wonder why that is. I guess it's good in a way to prevent people from doing things they shouldn't be doing and going against the rules and laws. But at the same time, as long as you're staying above ground level, it should be fine like you hear. But that was, I guess that was an arbitrary thing that DJI did. They set up with the European Union. I don't know how it is with other drone companies like Altel or some of these other drones, but I know DJI is the main one. That's what I brought with me was my Mini 4 Pro. Some panoramic shots. There were some shots I couldn't actually get in because I was too low. I was like, oh, it's still below the mountaintop. So I was like, I can't even get my shot in that I wanted, but I made it work. <laughs> and it was how it was just sort of a learn as you go experience. Which, yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes that's the best yep. way to learn. But anything, any other uh, piece of advice you'd have for anybody who would be planning on traveling to Europe, bringing their drone along with? I know you, you've already shared so much important information already. Yeah. I'm going to give you one more chance here to or anything else. Yeah, biggest thing is just do your research ahead of time. Don't wing it. Europe is way different than the U.S. And just try to do your research ahead of time. Realize where you're going, where you want to plan ahead of time. And see what the flight restrictions are and where you can and can't fly. Well, thank you, Kevin. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm sorry that, yeah, you ran into so many hurdles, but you figured it out and you did the right thing by doing your research. And if there's another silver lining here, we're learning a lot from you here on the podcast. <laughs> thank you for going out there and finding this information out. So appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks again for coming on. And hey, if you want to submit your drone question, please do. We will find the answer for it and answer here in an episode of YDQA. You can go on to ydqa.io, submit a question there. We'll find the answer. Or if you're part of the Drone Launch Connect community, go ahead, type your question in there. We'll see it. We'll look for the answer or the guy who can find the answer. So thank you again for joining and we'll see you in the sky.